0: Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined by Will Schroeder, the founder and CEO of Startups.com. And as you're all now getting used to, on occasion, we bring in a whole bunch of our founder friends into the audience who will be very quiet for the first half hour or so while Will and I drone on. And then we'll get to hear from them. The episode will get way more exciting. We're digging into an interesting one today, one that may be a little painful for some folks. Uh, Certainly Will and I, Experience this a lot in our our founder conversations. Will, you know, as as we talk to founders, we're starting to see more and more, there's this sense of entitlement around like what should be happening to me as I build my company, right? Am I entitled to funding? Am I entitled to success? Am I entitled to customer acquisition? Am I entitled to a great team? What as founders are we actually entitled to when we sign that founder membership card? I don't mean to be a jerk, but we're kind of entitled to jack shit. (laughs) (laughs)
1: And to be fair, that's probably what we'll get. I mean, if we calling it, what it is. But I've been sitting in a lot of founder groups lately and just listening very closely to what folks are saying. And I understand where they're coming from. But when we talk about, hey, I'm going through the funding process, they don't talk about funding as if it's something that they might get. They talk about funding as something that they will get, but just haven't gotten it yet.
0: Foregone conclusion. Yep.
1: Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, It's only a matter of time. While on the one hand, I think there's some built-in optimism, which I think is, you know, important. We have to have it, right? We have to have it. On the other hand, it kind of comes with the other side, which is, of course, I'm entitled to it. In other words, we use the word entitlement to me is a bad thing. And generally, it kind of often is. But they feel like if I've got the deck together, if I've got what I think is a good idea, and I'm out pitching, I'm just waiting for the money. You know, I haven't gotten it yet, but I'm waiting for the money. That's one side of it. And I think that there's a lot of aspects to what's become this entitlement mentality for founders. And the reason I think we should talk about it today is because it's a really, really bad path to follow because it it almost always ends in disappointment. And as I listen to these founders closely talking about how fast we didn't scale or how we're still trying to get to product market fit or I haven't gotten my exit yet, I'm scratching my head going, you know, that like never happens, right? (laughs)
0: Right. Yeah. (laughs) Neither has almost everyone else, right? That is the the, the law of averages says it's going to stay exactly like that. We do see it a lot. And I think that, you know, there's nothing wrong, like you said, with the optimism piece of it, we have to be optimistic, we have to believe in what we're doing. But when we start to believe in it to a degree where we become blind to the reality, this is where it gets dangerous. To your other point, It also becomes disappointing if we assume and we expect that funding is just a foregone conclusion and just, oh man, I've talked to all these investors. They just don't get it, right? They don't understand. They're just a bunch of idiots. Once I find the smart one, once I find the right one, then this is a foregone conclusion. I'm going to get funding. This is just a matter of time. And then they just keep spinning wheels and there's zero traction, no progress in the startup. And it starts to take an emotional toll on them and they start to get burnt out. And it's all predicated on this bullshit assumption that this was a foregone conclusion to begin with. So that's where we really cross the line from being optimistic into being you know, dangerously optimistic, or you know, we cross the line into hubris at that point. I think that's where we have to really, really watch our step. Ah, hubris is a great way to put it. I hadn't thought of that word,
1: and that's exactly kind of the, the, the word I've been looking for, which is odd to me because we're just getting started out it's like we haven't had time to become cocky yet. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I think we're doing it you know, kind of indiscriminately. And I think what ends up happening is we set ourselves up for failure. So let's talk about funding. This is the first pass that usually really makes me scratch my head. We talk to founders all day long. We work with a lot, create a lot of pitch decks, et cetera. And what founders genuinely don't understand is how the statistics are so stacked against them. Let me give you a fairly easy one for every one check that'll get written from a founder from a um, sorry an investor there will be 99 founders that don't get a check i mean there are geometrically more founders out there looking for money than there are investors investor checks don't don't grow exponentially year over year founders do thankfully so think about that think about the hubris in thinking i'm the one the difference is you don't understand the numbers when you hear you're one out of 100 that'll get funded You might be like, oh, okay, yeah, I I could see why that would be highly unusual that I'd get funded. But if you don't know that, and you just go out there and you hear about all these people getting funded, you assume people are just handing out money left and right.
0: Right. Because all you hear about are the ones that got funded. You don't hear about the other, right? So for every 100 companies that got funded, there are 900 sitting around going, what happened? Like, why didn't that work, right? The other thing that I see is that people tend to think of funding as this vacuum conversation where, you know, again, to your point, there are lots of other people seeking funding. Guess what? They're seeking it from the same people you are. This isn't about just the merits of your deal. It's the merit of your deal against everything else they could possibly do with their money, including not investing it in startups. Now, if you're talking VC, that's what they do. But if you're talking early stage funding, friends and family, they might rather leave it in their 401k, probably a better place for it. If you're talking angels, they could invest in hard assets, right? They could do a lot of other things. They could put it into the market. There's so many things people can do with their money. Again, be optimistic, be excited about what you're out to do, but be really realistic about the odds of this and what drives the odds? Because think if we just say it's you versus 100, it's like, well, I'll just be the best. Yes, of course, that's what you have to go and try to do, right? Every kid bouncing a basketball right now wants to be LeBron James or Steph Curry or someone, right? And the odds are stacked against them in exactly the same way. And we all get that. And yet somehow the minute we become startup founders, we're like, yeah, but I got this. Never done it before, have no experience, but it's totally me, right? Like no, no chance anybody's gonna beat me at this game right? And that's where we get in trouble. Here's
1: where I see it. I see it again. We talk at our founder groups and we just use those as, as kind of this, this mechanism that exists in many other circles, but we've got, let's say a group of eight to 10 founders, and we're all going around the room talking about updates. And one person says, you know, we just completed our round of funding, which is fantastic. The problem is, especially in the earlier stage groups, the rest of the people in the room are like, well, why didn't I get funded? Sometimes, you know, they don't say that out loud, but it's kind of what they're thinking. <laughs> you can see it on their faces. Yeah, you can see it on their faces. And I think to myself, man, why would you think that? Why would you think that because that person got funded that that changes your outcome at all? And we talked about this in another episode about how what happens to me doesn't affect you whatsoever and how everybody's journey is dramatically different. So I always try to remind folks, it's wonderful that you got funded. That, if anything, it actually reduces the odds that someone else will get funding. (laughs) There's a finite number of checks.
0: Yeah, there's one less check out there for you.
1: Right. But we only hear about the people that got funded. There's no TechCrunch article that's like, oh my God, Ryan's been looking for funding for six months and no one will will email him back. Yep. That article doesn't exist, right? And so I think we have to go into this with some straight up humility and say, hey, guess what? I'm trying to do this. I understand that the probability of me locking this down is really unlikely. To your point, Ryan, that's why I got to go all in. I got to make sure I didn't miss anything on my deck, for example, right? I got to make sure my my emails or my intros to investors are as tight as possible because I can't afford to waste a single one. And if by the end of that process, I'm still not funded, guess what? That's okay. I have to plan another route to grow this business
0: because I know that funding is pretty unusual. This is the conversation I'm constantly having with people, which is what's plan B look like? What's plan C look like? What does the unfunded optimization look like? One of the episodes we did was around optimizing for the likelihood of the outcome, not just the size of the outcome. And I think that's that's absolutely apropos here because wh- that's what we have to do. Like we can say like, look, we're going to go try for funding. But while we're trying for funding, we better be actually working on building the business in ways that we have control over. This is something, again, going back to just this, people don't really understand how the funding process works, or they think they do, but they get it wrong. One of the challenges is that it's a process that we have very little control over. The only real piece of control we have in the entire funding process is whether we choose to seek it or not. Once we get past that part, yeah, we can pitch all day long. We can work on the deck. We can make investor, we can do all this stuff, but we don't have control over the outcomes. We can decide whether to seek funding or not, but we have to decide to continue to optimize the business outside that and continue to move things forward, which by the way, also does increase that very small percentage likelihood that you actually get funding. So important in either case. But I think this is one of those things where people get it twisted and, and they forget that there is a path outside of funding, which is the vast likelihood, right? So don't lose sight of that.
1: Yeah. It's, it's where most people wind up just, <laughs> just to be clear. We didn't take funding. So let's look at another one. Let's say I've got funded or maybe I've just got things rolling. And now I've got this sense that success has to come to me quickly. Not even just I, I deserve success, but it has to happen fast. Right. Let's say three years. I deserve to know whether this thing is going to be the right fit within three years, and I get it in my head. And guess, guess who else gets in their head? My whole staff. My whole staff is like, no, startups figure it out within years. We get product market fit, and the thing scales, and we go crazy, etc. And I scratch my head. I'm like, the difference is, Ryan, you and I have such a different purview. We see twenty thousand startups per month coming through startups.com, so we see everything—the good, the bad, everything. Right, and we realize. The number of companies that actually wind up finding product market fit, getting to scale, sometimes getting the profitability in three years, are so few. (laughs) It's needle in a haystack. And yet it's become an expectation in the startup world. And that's new, by the way. Didn't used to be like that.
0: Yeah, no. I I remember that we, we started starting businesses. We just sort of assumed they would fail, right? And we just kept assuming they would fail. And eventually they didn't. And that was what success looked like. Because there was no like happy founder narrative back then. You know, I, I remember and I've said this in the podcast before <laughs> when I would I would tell people that, you know, I was a founder, I was an entrepreneur, they would always get this sort of like sympathetic look, like, oh, he's unemployable, right? Like, oh, poor, poor guy, can't get a job. Right. No, I'm doing what I want to do. So yeah, the, the sense that we deserve success is a tough one. The idea that it should happen quickly is another to tie this back to funding. I did a call on Monday this week with a founder who was seeking funding. And I, when I asked like, so why, like, what is driving this need for funding? Why do you need this? It's like, well, in order to hit this revenue by, by year two, so that I can start to pay myself this. And I'm going, Oh man, like I, I know how this ends. And it's, it's not that like, even if you get funding, like it's unlikely that you're going to get what you're after. So like even if you succeed at the thing you've set out to do, you're unlikely to get the crown, the prize that you were actually after in this case because the expectations just were really malaligned with the reality of the situation. and it's it's so hard to have these conversations and try to unwind that and try to help reset expectations without simultaneously just smashing somebody's hopes and dreams, right? because it, it's a good idea. it's it's a business and it could get funding but the time frame that they were setting out, the expectations they had for like how they're going to be able to use the money. Like we're going to raise a million dollars and then I'm going to use half of that to pay myself for two years.
1: <laughs> that sounds awesome. Maybe we will raise if we can start doing that. that, <laughs>
0: that <sounds laughs> Guess who's going to say no to that, right? Before yeah, yeah. they write the check, ergo not write the check. You're investors. So yeah.
1: But how did we get here? How did we get to a point where in the startup world, I have to be successful within three years because I got to say, it wasn't always this way, even in the startup world. So I would argue, and, and take my hypothesis for what you think it's worth, that the true startup culture, the way we know it now, mostly came in the 90s with, with the advent of the dot-com era, where you had companies that could go to market on this new thing called the internet in this crazy new way that was actually just really hard to do prior to that. Yeah, it gave exponential
0: reach where you had at best geometric reach in the past, Right. Correct, correct.
2: And
1: so, and then really post-90s into the 2000s, like, that's when the startup culture really started to kind of like take hold. And that's when our expectations changed. And the reason I say that is because if you talk about, talk to somebody who built a business in the 80s, the 70s, the 60s, etc. No one would talk like that. They were like, are you out of your mind?
0: When my great grandfather started this (laughs) at the turn of the century, why? uh, Yeah. You know, that was that was it, right? Businesses took a long time. All of the big businesses that we knew in the 70s, 80s, even coming into the 90s before dot com had taken an exceptionally long time to build because that's how it worked. Like, you know, Sears and Roebuck didn't just, you know, turn on digital customer acquisition and like, hey, look at that. We've got the entire country buying log cabins in a mail, order. <laughs> uh, which still blows my mind that was one of the things you could buy. I kind of love that. I wish Sears and Roebuck still had a log cabin for sale. I'd get one.
1: We started to build this really short-term mentality And I think it just got exacerbated over time. And I think it's put us in a dangerous situation. So I think the short-term mentality would be an example like when we started to talk about building your MVP and lean startup. And the idea is you're not going to build shit. All you're going to do is you're going to throw up a landing page. You're going to run $1,000 of Google AdWords. And you'll know within like a month or so. You're going to landing page test this thing. You'll know whether it's a successful company. And all I kept thinking to myself was, That's the most irresponsible way to launch a company that I could possibly imagine. And I'm not saying it didn't work for somebody. I'm sure it did, right? But I remember thinking companies take seven to 10 years to build if you're lucky. If you do things right, why in God's green earth would you think that it's going to take you a month to figure
0: out whether you should be running this business? There's a strategy there. You can validate certain things, right? And I talk to founders about this all the time. When we're talking about MVP, one of the things that gets left out and I think, again, it's part of this speed mentality. And, and we can talk about, again, where, where, what, some of what's driving that. And obviously, the internet both made it available to us and popularized it, right? Because of then the advent of social media, then we all see people achieving, you know, the, the ones of people who have done this, you know, faster at scale, or by the way, are saying they did that. You know, not everybody tells the truth on the internet. It's not, probably not a newsflash here. But I think that that is, that's a, a big part of how we got to where we are. And, you know, to this, this notion of speed and things like, you know, using a landing page to test, great, yeah, do that. But be mindful of what that validates. When I'm talking to people about their MVP, one of the things that I remind people we have to actually validate is the provision of value, right? People leave that out of their MVPs entirely. And they're just like, we just have to hurry up and find out. Will people click a button? Will people offer to pay? Will people pre sale? Will people join a wait list? Sure, because at that point, you haven't had to do jack shit to prove anything other than what it says (laughs) in the landing page, right? So, what you've proven you can build is a clever marketing ruse. That's it. It's not a business until you actually start to provide value. People appreciate the value and come back for more of it or tell other people about it. Now you validate a business. Guess what? That takes more than a month in a landing page.
1: It does. And I think that, again, this kept perpetuating this myth that success is a short-term metric and that I deserve success. Back to our entitlement. I deserve success in a very short term. And I kept scratching my head going, you know, while we have made some things better, faster, cheaper, right? And it has helped. I mean, it does take less time to build a successful startup than it did before. It's not that fast. At some point, you're defying gravity. And every now and again, every now and again, a startup does just that, right? You get an Instagram moment, right? Where it's just a thing goes nuts overnight, right? Or Tinder, it goes nuts overnight. It actually does happen, but it is such a lightning in the bottle moment where like the likelihood of ever recreating that, even again, I always say this, with the same founders is almost zero, right? It almost never happens again, but we stamp that in our minds. We say, well, that happened sold for a billion dollars within three years. So that happens. So that is the new you know, four-minute mile. And, and that's what I should be pacing toward. I get anxious about that. I get anxious about that because when, when we start pacing toward unrealistic goals, we set ourselves up for failure. And when we set ourselves up for failure, it also kills us to build what should be great companies. If you had taken your time and you had paced yourself and you had realistic expectations and said, okay, it takes seven to 10 years to build a good company, well, hey, that's a long run, right? If you're sprinting, trying to get it done in three, three years, come on.
0: Yeah, there are very few people who run 10 four-minute miles back-to-back, back, right? It's not the way it works.
1: I don't know, man. And so the way I see it when we talk to these founders, I say, look, you're in year two and a half, and you're shocked that you don't have more traction. Guess what? You are like 30% of the way there, not 90% of the way there. And you could make an argument to say, yeah, but in the first three years, if like nothing's really gained traction, there's usually a reason for it. There's a a good set of statistics that would say, if you haven't figured something out within three years, the probability that you'll figure it out in year six is fairly low. And there might be some truth to that. But the other side of it is, or it actually takes a long time for you to find your footing and build the business that you're supposed to build. Like there's no reason it has to happen in under three years. You're not entitled to that timeline. We weren't,
0: that's for sure. For sure. Yeah, yeah. I think there's so much danger in this speed aspect of this, right? And when when I talk to circle back to funding again, when I'm talking to founders about funding, one of the things we, we often talk about is this enabling or is this accelerative? In most cases, it's accelerative, meaning that it's just going to make things move faster. It doesn't mean you're going to get to success sooner, it just makes things move faster. Enablement capital is like, I have to pre-order, I have to pay a manufacturer to make my widgets before I can sell them. There are just few, very few cases anymore where I see that enablement capital is really a real thing. But a lot of people seeking accelerative capital, and I find that to be you know part of this dangerous mentality that if we can just make it go faster, it'll be better. Rarely are things that just simply move faster through space better off, right? Especially at an early stage where we don't really know where we're going and we don't know, we don't yet have product market fit. And yeah, it can accelerate some of those things maybe, but you know, it may also give us false negatives and then, and then turn us away. We've also got a burn rate at that point. So you know what else happens in that case? We fail faster. And I know there's that whole fail fast mentality. Yes, but they don't mean entire failure. They don't mean giving up. They don't mean quitting and shutting it down. They mean like find what's not working and then fix it. Totally different story. And I think that one of the other things that's not accounted for when we talk about things like, yes, there have been examples of these companies that move really fast. That sets a false expectation that I have to do that. And I think that's really dangerous because it puts a ton of pressure on the founders. Beyond that, and we, you touched on this, Will, but it is getting faster, right? We can build things faster. We've got low code. We've got no code. We've got you know, shops that specialize in prototyping and MVP. We have all these resources we didn't have before which in theory allows us to move faster and lowers the barrier to entry. So yes, some things can move faster, but guess what else that means? It means there's a whole lot of other people moving that wouldn't have otherwise been there. When we lower the barrier to entry and we make things faster and easier, we get more entrance into the market. And so for whatever we've gained as a, as a collective startup community, we've probably offset by the fact that there's just that many more of us, which look, for us, like this is exactly what we want. We want more founders in the world. We want more people building businesses. But we also have to be cognizant of the fact that that means there's more competition, more confusion, more messaging in the market, which just make things more difficult. And again, not that many more check writers. We've seen an exponential increase in the number of founders and a slightly linear increase in the the number of people who are funding folks, right? So not exactly the perfect storm, right? What gets me concerned,
1: though, is that, again, if we create this entitlement as founders, we then radiate that out to our team. Now, play this out. The team joins, and they're like, well, of course, we're going to exit this thing. So I get stock in this thing. And of course, we're going to have an exit. Where did that come from exactly? It came from us as the founders if we started to have that entitlement. A different way to approach it, a pragmatic way to approach it would be, we're building something of value. If at some point that something of value has uh, value to someone else, wonderful. But the goal here isn't to say we're all going to exit. The goal here is to say we're creating value. If I start to say I deserve an exit, here's what happens. I start second-guessing the longevity of my business. I'm more focused on getting out of my business than building my business. And guess what? That doesn't lead to building a business that you're going to get out of. I mean, It's kind of the paradox, right? When again, we'll go back to the founder groups. I just saw this the other day. Wonderfully, one of our founder groups members had a wonderful exit, like a a big exit to a Mm -hmm. public company. And and we're so happy for. Kind of on everybody's faces for a minute is where's my exit, right? Similar to funding, et cetera. You read about someone in your community and they exited. And your first thought, because we're all selfish idiots, is where's my exit? You know, why isn't this happening to me? And it goes back to the entitlement. We're not entitled to an exit, not just like funding. It might happen. And if it does, that's wonderful, right? Obviously, if it does, that's wonderful. But the reality is the statistic, statistical reality of us getting to an exit is so incredibly low that to say I deserve it, it's just like an exercise in madness. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I was mentally drawing a far side comment where, where it says, uh, recent startup exit. And it's just a person carrying a cardboard box filled with the things that used to be on the desk from the startup that shut down, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> sadly, that's the higher percentage, right? This is the way most startups exit, which is sort of quietly into oblivion. We're not here to tell you not to not to build a company. We're here to tell you to build a company, but we want to make sure that we have the right expectations and that you're looking at this objectively and understanding what, what the realities of the situation are, because that. That is required for success, right? If you are going to be successful, you have to be looking at this realistically. It cannot come from a place of entitlement. It has to come from a place of pure understanding of exactly how difficult this is and still having a willingness to go forth and try to do that, right? I think if we zoom out and we say, what am I entitled to, what am
1: I not entitled to? If we really kind of sum this up, I would say that I'm entitled for the chance of funding, not funding, right? Ideally, I'm going to build a business with or without it, but I'm entitled to the chance at funding. I should, and I should get a shot at it. And I think that's absolutely true. I'm entitled to be able to build a business that will hopefully be successful sooner than later. Right? There's, there's no upside to being later, but I don't know when later is going to be. I really don't. And, and sooner will never come quick enough. And it could be 7 to 10 years. It could be 12 years. And I know lots and lots of successful founders that spent easily a decade before they even got their footing and wouldn't trade it for anything. I think, again, we've got this broken mentality. So I think I'm entitled to some success, ideally, if I make it happen. But the time frame, I got to throw that out the door. It'll happen when it happens. I'll try to make it happen sooner than later, but it's going to happen when it happens. And finally, I'm not entitled to an exit unless I've created something of value that people want. It's kind of that simple. If I build something of so much value that everybody wants it, then I'm actually entitled to an exit because I know people want it. But if no one's knocking, guess what? I'm not entitled to anything. I didn't build something with enough value to an external party to make that go, whether it's an IPO, a sale, et cetera. So when I think about what we're entitled to as founders, I have a very narrow purview. We're entitled to our own focus, our own vision, our own way that we want to build this thing and absolutely nothing else. You know something that's really funny about everything we talk about here is that none of it is new everything you're dealing with right now has been done a thousand times before you which means the answer already exists you may just not know it but that's okay that's kind of what we're here to do we talk about this stuff on the show but we actually solve these problems all day long at groups.startups.com so if any of this sounds familiar Stop guessing about what to do. Let us just give you
0: the answers to the test and be done with it. And that's what we would call the episode. Except that there's a whole bunch of people sitting here waiting to ask us questions and and, (laughs) and provide perspective and do all that. So normally that's where I would hit uh, hit pause, but uh, we don't have to do that today. So... Awesome. And just to put a cap on it, I agree with you, Will. I, I, I think the the entitlement ends at kind of the, the decision to do this at all. I think we're all entitled to try this, right? And all of the things that come with it and nothing more. So we've got some comments in the chat. It looks like Roll back up. We all ready to, to get involved in the conversation here? Let's see. I'm looking for the first. Uh, Roman, you said 16 years of schooling. I, I have a feeling that was just a A comment on on some of the introduction around the preparation for this. And I think I have a feeling you were being sarcastic. But Did I read that wrong?
1: Well, I wasn't being sarcastic. It's because I think you guys asked the question of how do we get into this mode of expecting stuff. And it's 16 years of schooling because we're like, you put in the work, you get the grade. You put in the work, you get the grade. And it's like, we're just conditioned to it. Wow. I hadn't even thought about that. That's a really good point. We've been conditioned for so long to get the reward for the work, we're so unconvinced that if we do the work, there's no reward.
0: Yeah, well, we left the rat race. We have to expect not to find cheese at the end, I guess.
1: Yeah, it'd be like working a job and then on any given week, you don't get a paycheck. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like, that's exactly how this works. It's kind of what it feels like at entrepreneurship. You really don't know when that paycheck's gonna come. You know that you keep spending money to go to work every day. (laughs) It would be nice to start making some.
0: That's a really good point about, about the, uh, the expectation. Dina, it feels somewhat as a result of the message to founders that you have to believe in yourself to the extreme to succeed. 100%. And I think this is where we were talking about early on that you have to be optimistic, right? We have to believe that we can do this. If we don't believe in ourselves, no one else is going to. But again, we got to be careful of that line between optimism and, and hubris where we just put ourselves at risk of one, having expectations that are just so poorly aligned with reality, and then being disappointed when we don't achieve them. Was there anything specific in that, like in the narrative that where we have to believe or you, you struggling with that now? Is there a point in your your startup where it's like, I've been living on optimism for so long that I just, I don't have anything else or what's driving that for you?
2: Well, I actually very pretty recently started in the game. So not where I am personally it's more of just this ethos I think and story around like I don't know a lot of stories that people tell of like I think it was mentioned elsewhere of like oh we're turned down by all these people and and they persevered and that's like that's why it came about and kind of that being an essential part to you being successful in the future and you're kind of tiptoeing this line between that And then also like being realistic and seeing the statistics. And if everyone took the statistics, like had that in your face every day, no one would start anything because of that, because it's like not rational to do so. So it's kind of this hard, like, I think that's why there's a roller coaster of up and down, because you're kind of going between these two extremes, but there's kind of no way to
0: like not do that. So. No, I think, yeah, the best we can do, I think the the roller coaster will always exist. I think the best we can do is try to, to level out the peaks and valleys a bit, right. Where we make sure that we maintain that appropriate level of optimism, but again, not allowing optimism to take us so high that when we hit that turn and come back the other direction and reality rears its ugly head. And we, we head for that, uh, is it Paul Graham, the trough of despair or the trough of sorrow? <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. So that the the, the landing in that is uh, is it a lower velocity because we we'll all hit that at some point.
1: You do need to believe in yourself. That's kind of a given, but I, I also think that you have to have a level of humility in this process. Again, and, and, and I'm sure you see it too, which is, hey, funding isn't easy, right? Like, if I get it, great, but that that's a long shot. Success isn't easy. If I get it, great, but I'm not going to try to get in three years or not going to believe i'm going to get it in 3 years if i do wonderful right or, or an exit would be wonderful but like i'm not like silly enough to realize that like out of all the startups out there the probability that i'm going to get an exit is so incredibly low that for me to just be assumptive you know entitled to that that outcome is ridiculous i think what's healthy here and this is really what we're trying to say is to understand how statistically off we are from all of these outcomes And look at them as that is like basically the total outlier. It's why they write articles about people like this. You know, like like Drew Houston from uh, Dropbox has this amazing story. It's actually on the startups.com site, his backstory. About, you know, how he kind of like, you know, went to the edge and came back. Brian Chesky from Airbnb, same thing, where he and his partner were selling Obama O's, right? And Captain Kane's at, at a rally in order to like make enough money to, to keep the lights on, right? And that's all they ate for like a year after, right? And those stories are awesome. They're mostly fabricated, but they're awesome, right? Because we hear about that and like, oh my gosh, you know, if I don't persevere, I'm not going to be Airbnb or I'm not going to be Dropbox, et cetera. Well, guess what? We get to hear all the stories of when that doesn't work out. And the only thing you have left are boxes of cereal. It doesn't always go very well. In fact, statistically, it usually doesn't go very well, right? It would be the equivalent of when people say they want to get in a relationship. They're single and they go out into the world. They're like going to meet one person and that's it. Not going to meet any more people. And that's going to be the perfect relationship forever. And we're going to be married and make children and do whatever we need to do. And that's it, (laughs) And you look at that person like, are you insane? We are, uh, Ryan and I are unfortunately those people that see all of these people come into this for the first time with these expectations. And this is why we're doing podcasts like this to say, dude, take it back, <laughs> take it back a second. It doesn't exactly work like that, right? Yeah. And I hope it does. I hope, I hope the first person you meet becomes the person you love forever. Probably not a great idea, but whatever. But that's it actually kind of not how this whole thing works.
2: I think the other hard part of it is that not only are founders seeing this, but like everyone around you and your ecosystem sees it who don't, who know even less than you do. And so like, I can talk about this personally. Like my mom has definitely said multiple times, like, oh, you'll know in a year whether or not this is something to continue pursuing and like trying to educate her of like, no, I might not know. I mean, I probably won't, but I try and, you know, I'm like, No, that's not necessarily the case. There's not like a time that you know or don't know. That doesn't mean I like need to do X at this time, you know, but it's living in that world with everyone else too. That makes it, I think, hard as well.
0: (laughs) It's a great point. Yeah. And yeah, people around us have so much less context. We talk about this all the time. It's like you can get sympathy from people who are non-founders. If you're lucky, you've got some founders in your life and you can get some empathy from them because they understand it. But for the people on the outside of this, Trying to understand, right? And again, look, it comes from a good place. What your mom is really saying is, I'm looking ahead at your future, and I want to know that you're secure, and I want to know that you know you'll be okay, and that you'll you'll thrive as a human, you know, both professionally, financially, existentially. So let's check in after a year and make sure you're not just heading on a straight downhill to nowhere. So I get it, right? We get the motivations behind it, but it doesn't make it easier to deal with. And again, to your point, like even as the founders we have a limited amount of understanding and data around how this is going to work out so having to listen to the the opinions of everyone all of the pundits you know around us who have less information would kind of like i don't know be me commenting on tom brady's throwing arm like i never i've never played a football match in my life not that kind of play it's the not album.
1: called a match that's why we know you haven't
0: played it yeah exactly <laughs> see there you go it's, okay a football game with your hands oh, the hand I'm so glad football. you said that Uh, that'll that'll come back to you by the way that will live forever yes i know all right moving on to my man roman (laughs) back
1: to you my friend Uh, the stories that are told are the loudest the loudest are the ones where the founder perseveres against all odds Uh, the dropbox founder getting turned down by google it's funny we both said the same thing and carrying on it often feels like startups are built on belief and blind optimism roman how long did it take you to realize that those stories actually weren't true and or were just such a, an outlier that you actually couldn't build anything on those stories? I think rationally, I know they're not true. But if you hear them often enough every day, and you see little pieces of proof, you have to kind of convince yourself about that constantly, continuously, right? So that's the challenges. And also when you have little other data other than belief in optimism, like if you really don't know what the next step is, and when it's going to happen, you kind of almost fall back to that as a default. I think what's terrible about this, I love these stories, and they are so entertaining. Again, we have a ton of them on startups.com, and I read all of them. I, they're wonderful, right? One, when I said they're not true, what I mean is you often get kind of like a, a revisionist history of what actually happened there.
0: Yeah, you get the Instagram version, right? yeah, here's yeah, the, yeah. Here's the best parts of what I just went through.
1: Yes. And then the second part that you don't hear is typically at the time number one that struggle they're going through was not cool like when they're when you're eating nothing but the same cereal every day because you tried to hawk it at an <laughs> obama convention there's yeah. no part of you that's waking up in the morning and go man nailing it right now this is going to be a billion dollar company you're like
0: C- cool story shitty diet
1: yeah i remember brian chesky from airbnb was like dude i had to move back into my parents basement right how cool do you think things are going for me at that time, right?
0: Do you suppose they put it on Airbnb and charge them for it?
1: Yeah, <laughs> who knows, <laughs> right? But like, I've got a story where like, I got rejected from every college I applied to and I went to school for an entire year as a fake student because I was, I was afraid to tell anybody that I wasn't actually accepted to a college. And a lot of people don't know that, particularly a lot of my friends who I went to college with, right? But at the time, it makes a cool story now, right? But at the time, It was maybe the most humiliating moments of my life.
0: Nothing cool about showing up and putting in the work and uh, not getting credit for it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, it's it's humiliating. And so those stories sound cool. But also, by the way, if you talk to most of those founders, maybe damn near all of them, if you talk to them behind closed doors and ask them about the same story that they were told, they'll often give you a different story. They know what's good for the press and they know what's like the actual story if they told the actual story, and I'm not calling them like liars or anything, it just their story kind of, you know, makes for better press. It wasn't that awesome. And if you had to live through what they lived through, you probably wouldn't keep going. And one thing could have changed and, and they were gone too. So the stories are really misleading. In some ways, they're, they're ex- exciting. And I read those stories when I was first coming up and I love them and they really helped me persevere myself. I just learned later on that they were kind of myths
0: which leads us into Michael Lunt's point that we use other founders as a baseline and it's really skewed 100% because who who do we pick? The best of the bunch, right? Like we're going to pick the founders who tell the narrative. that sounds like the life we would like to have, the path we would like to follow, the circumstances that we would love to have land in our laps. And again, to Will's point, we're still getting a really filtered view of even that, right?
3: Yeah, and I think as as well, like, I was thinking about like how we all try and enter our business as like a unique company, right? And yet, imagine us all as like these individual unique snowflakes. And then we try and compare ourselves to everyone like for like. And you're like, well, hang on, are you unique or are you trying to be the same? Like which one is it? Because you can't be both. And it really screws with your head because you know, you're always looking at what other people have. And wondering, well, why can't I have that? And it's like, well, because you aren't on the same trajectory, you know?
0: Yeah, you haven't done all of exactly the same things that they did at the same time in the same circumstances. Yeah, it's so hard, though.
1: Michael, you also made this point soon thereafter that you think seeing people successful through social media has made founders impatient for success. We've never had a time in human history where it's been easier to fabricate how our lives are going and have the entire world know about it within seconds. I mean, it's, I mean, it's every social media outlet there is.
3: Well, and you've seen like those, those like behind the scenes, like people with their feet in the sand and then they reverse the camera and it's a paint tray with a bit of paint with <laughs> a bit of sand in it. And, and you're like, well, yeah, this is how it actually is. People are trying to put their best versions of themselves forward because they want you to think that they're doing well. And I think you just, you, we live in this world now where only the good is shown. It's one of the reasons why I love what you guys have done is because you're not showing just the good you're showing the complete polar opposite as well like the failures the things that you had to go through to like get there and it's what drew me to startups.com because I was like finally someone's telling me the truth and it makes me realize I'm not alone and clearly not alone you know because there's many many founders who share that and you know the the whole like you know wanting it now it's just so damaging. I mean, later on in the, in the comments, like I said, like I've got this app on my phone that reminds me I've only been doing this for four months as this version of my business, because if I don't,
0: yeah, I yeah, love it. I love because If it. I
3: don't have it, like all of a sudden the timeline starts to skew. And then I'm like, I've been doing this for eight years. And I'm like, Oh, you haven't. It gives kind of gives me a kick up the ass to remember like where I actually am. Like I barely got a toe over the start line. <laughs> yep. So. We always and we did another episode recently about this. They were saying how much
1: time you actually have. Right. Like if you're 27 years old, you've barely started your career. People are like, well, I'm you know a quarter of the way through my life, and it's like, no, not your business life. Your business life. You graduated college five years ago. You've barely started your career. You're like 10 percent of your career. All right, moving on. So, test. Knowing that I don't have to have a multi-million-dollar startup in the two to three years actually makes me feel a lot better about the organic growth of my business. I am a hundred percent bootstrapped and focused on my users, not interested in getting funding at the moment. What were you thinking there?
4: Well, I think that you know I've been building my business, and then I get into this world of like accelerators and getting funding. They're like, "Oh, you're in the tech world; like you need to apply for this accelerator." Like they have all of these funding, and I'm just like wait, I don't feel like I need funding. Like, what am (laughs) I Like, my business is growing. Like, I'm getting users. Like, I'm making some money. Like, Things are going well. Like, why do I need funding right now? And it's just like all of these, like, you need funding, you need fun. I'm just like, why? Like, why do I need funding right now? It's just been a really interesting experience (laughs) that I've been going through. And I'm a first-time founder. It's first time I've ever done this.
1: Well, that's the challenge because you're coming for this for the first time. Wherever you start getting your initial signals is what you're going to assume the norm is. Again, we're going back to the dating analogy I used. If the first person you dated was just the most horrible person in the world, in your mind, people are horrible. Like, you know, I'm probably going to meet more of these horrible people. It's hard to get a baseline until you've been doing this long enough. It's hard to get a baseline until you've seen enough other viewpoints. And the challenge is the viewpoints that are kind of the, the biggest mouthpieces are either fake success. Or a success that's not necessarily the same as yours. So someone raised a hundred million dollars and they went public. That's cool, but that's their path. That has nothing to do with yours. And it's hard to differentiate that.
4: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I cause people are saying that I need funding or, you know, all of my other like, I have an app and like I have all these other friends that have like built apps and stuff, and they're like looking at funding them. And so I guess my question is like, when do I need funding? Like, how do I know? when it's time to start raising funds, I guess.
1: Well, here's the funny thing. People think, well, I don't have something. I need to hire engineers. I need a marketing budget. I need." So that must mean I need funding. Let me tell you. There will be something you don't have for your entire career in this business. (laughs) That is perennial. It's actually something that no matter how much funding you raise, you start raising money. And now the next issue is every 12 to 18 months, you have to be out raising money again. And now you've got a gun to your head persistently for the next seven to 10 years trying to stay on the hamster wheel of funding. And by the way, I've been through it. Ryan's been through it. Like We help people through that all day long. It's not anti-funding, but you're trading one set of problems for another. And so there's no one solution that kind of figures it all out. Anybody that's raised enough funding will tell you, it's not all gravy the way people (laughs) make it sound. There's a lot of ways to struggle. That's just one of them.
0: Yeah. I think that learning to do without is one of those core characteristics that make for a great founder, right? We just learn to make things work without, but we assume when we don't have things to Will's point, when we don't have, right, we have to do without and, and I want to have those things. The fallacy there is that once I have those things, that everything just becomes easier and it just works, right? But there, there are tons of challenges in doing with just like there are in doing without, right? You, you inherit a boss, you inherit a burn rate, you inherit you know uh, that, that acceleration we talked about earlier, which may just accelerate you uh, into the tree. Who was telling us the sledding story this morning? Was that uh, before? Michael, yeah, Michael yeah. before we hit record, <laughs> was telling us he went sledding for the first time and almost hit a tree. That's actually a great analog for what funding looks like. You're like, I wanted to move faster. I started moving faster and holy shit, things got dangerous really fast, right? So be careful what we wish for. But again, it's going back to the pacing element too.
1: Test to somebody's telling you, you know, maybe directly or indirectly, hey, you need to be moving faster. And you look at that and you say, "Well, I would certainly like to get to success faster. I mean, who wants to wait? <laughs> There's no upside to that." But on the other hand, at what cost? In order to get to success faster, do I have to give up a whole bunch of my own company to do that? Maybe, and maybe that's not worth it to me. Another side of it would be, in order to move faster, do I have to like set myself on a burn rate where I'm going to run out of money in a really short period of time and have to keep raising money all over again? That's a dangerous path, too. People don't give you necessarily the full story when they're trying to explain to you what moving fast means. There's a cost to it. There's a consequence to it. And that, that's something that I think, on the other side of it, we really try to arm people with that information. 100%.
0: Let's see here. Where are we at? Uh... Michael at the bottom, I
1: realized I'm running a race by myself, so it doesn't matter how fast I run or walk. <laughs> I like
3: that. Oh Michael, what made you think of that? I think it was probably another one of you guys' podcast episodes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I, I, I and I was just like, I always had this like I'm very, I'm very visual at thinking, and I just had this image of someone just dropping me onto a track, and then I'm just like sprinting, and then I look behind me and realize no one's there. And I'm like, why the <laughs> hell am I running? And I'll just walk.
0: Right. Yeah, and right. Right.
3: Like, by the time I cross the finish line, I'll have a lot more energy than if I just keep going. So, yeah, I think we're just so focused on trying to cross that finish line as fast as possible. And I use Apple as an analogy, like as as like a comparison of like they very rarely bring something to the market first, but they arguably bring it to the market the best because they watch what other people are doing and then go, we could just do that better, and then. They usually spin it, you know, so that they were the first that came up with it. It's like edgeless screens. Like, it's not edgeless. There's definitely a border around every one of your devices, but people just buy it. And I think that need to be first is oftentimes actually means that you're not necessarily the best at what you do. So.
0: We've made this comparison and joke a number of times. You know, ask MySpace how glad they were that they were in the social media market before Facebook at this point. Ask them how much much are they enjoying that first mover advantage now? Yep, yep. (laughs) Versus the best mover. Yeah.
1: On that note, we got to wrap up I want to thank you all for being here. It's so cool because we get to <laughs> see you guys first and we're thinking about you when we're making the podcast. like so, you know, when we're talking about this stuff, we're, we're picturing you guys, but to have you here, to have you guys share is actually, it means the world to us and we appreciate the time you spend with us and listening to our stuff. Ryan, any parting thoughts
0: before we uh, before we go away? Just remember, you know, you're entitled to go forth and do this. Let that be enough, right? Let that be enough. Be excited that we have that capability. We are entitled to a shot at this thing, right? And, uh, and you're entitled to keep coming back and asking questions. You know, we're always here. This is what Will and I love to do. So, you know, use that piece of entitlement, right? Use, use the resources you have available to you and just uh, keep on keeping on. Be optimistic, but don't be blind to reality and everything will be fine.
1: So in addition to all the stuff related to founder groups, you've also got full access to everything on startups.com. That includes all of our education tracks, which will be funding, customer acquisition, even how to manage your monthly finances. There's so much stuff in there. All of our software, including BizPlan for putting together detailed business plans and financials, LaunchRock for attracting early customers, and of course, Fundable for attracting investment capital. When you log into the startups.com site, you'll find all of these resources available.